Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. How are you getting fit this year? According to a recent survey, an increasing number of you are doing body weight training, high-intensity interval training, or yoga. Those are just three of the top 20 items identified in the American College of Sports Medicine's worldwide survey of fitness trends for 2015. In today's episode, we'll talk to physical therapist and certified athletic trainer Ann Wendell about the top 10 trends identified by the ACSM survey, which also includes strength training, personal training, group training, and fitness programs for older adults. Anne describes why some of these fitness trends are so popular, and she offers guidance for someone considering exploring some of these exercise opportunities. Here's our conversation with Ann Wendell. And before we go through this survey from the American College of Sports Medicine, give me a sense about your approach to fitness and your practice. My practice is really a reflection of the things that I love to do. So my practice has changed over time since uh, I've been a therapist for about 16 years and been in healthcare for just about two decades. So my practice has been kind of eclectic. You know, I started out being interested in uh, yoga and body work, and that led to studying Thai yoga massage. And then I got interested in Pilates and went through Pilates teacher training, then got interested in rock climbing, Olympic lifting, kettlebells. So it's very eclectic. And I think as a cash practice, especially, you need to have a niche that you're really passionate about. And so your passion, your unique value is what allows you to develop a practice where you have a culture that draws the kind of patients that you want to treat. So obviously, your eclectic practice tailors to your personal passions. But in a general sense, this sort of diversification of practices seems like that's a trend we're going in. Why do you think this sort of diversity of sort of these niche passions kind of all coming together is so popular right now? You know, I think that's kind of a shift that we're seeing in healthcare and in physical therapy, definitely. You know, as people are experiencing higher copays and deductibles and things like that, they're really getting a bit choosier about what they want. And so therapists are kind of understanding that there's a need for people to specialize and you know, growing their practice around that. So I think especially as more and more cash-based practices pop up here and there, we're going to start seeing people really specialize. And then the general public, patients, will know that that's the kind of place that they want to go for the exact treatment that they want. So that ability to kind of choose the exact treatment you want is definitely represented in that ACSM list. So let's kind of go through the top 10 items. The most popular trend that they see coming is body weight training. So from general sense, what is that and then why do you think it's popular? So body weight training is just very simply using your own body weight to provide resistance for movement. Uh, I think there's a number of reasons why that's popular. It can be done anywhere. We have a lot of you know people who travel and don't want to have to worry about finding a gym or using equipment. So it's very easily done if you're on the road, if you're at home and you don't want to join a gym or something like that. Basically, it's using your own body weight to go through movements such as pushing and pulling and squatting and different agility work. The great thing about it is it's kind of self-limiting and allows for safe progression. So if you can't safely do a push-up, you won't 
hurt yourself doing push-ups versus doing heavy weightlifting and things like that. So for a lot of people, it's kind of a nice entry into exercise and resistance training. Two of my favorite bodyweight training types are MoveNet, which um, stands for Move Naturally, and that uses a lot of functional movements, agility, pushing, pulling, climbing, and things like that. And my other favorite is Animal Flow. My friend Mike Fitch developed that, and that's just using different movements on the floor, bodyweight exercises, and things like that. So those are two great things that people can look out for. When someone is doing bodyweight training, on the one hand, it seems so simple, and I'm almost wondering, can it be in danger of being too simple where somebody says, okay, I did a couple squats, I'm done. What's a good gauge for people to test for doing something at home, for example, whether they've reached a threshold where they're probably making progress in their fitness? So I think it's like any other kind of exercise. It needs to be progressed. And so just using your own body weight, you're not going to be increasing by increasing weight. So you have to progress it using more and more difficult movements. And so, you know, something like Animal Flow or Move That has those built-in progressions and regressions. You know, there are a lot of steps to being able to do a push-up. So maybe you start out doing wall push-ups, and then maybe you do them on a countertop or something like that. And then you do a plank on the floor, and then you build up to doing a push-up. So there's lots of different ways to progress. It wouldn't be based on your weight, obviously. Hopefully that wouldn't be increasing unless you're building muscle mass. But, you know, definitely increasing the progression of the exercises and making them more difficult. So the other thing people can do, obviously, is combine things together, and that brings us to the thing that's second on the list, which is high-intensity interval training. So, again, what is that, and what are examples of that? High-intensity interval training is kind of an exercise strategy that alternates periods of short, intense anaerobic exercise with less intense recovery periods. So things like boot camps, maybe, Tabata exercise, which was developed for speed skaters, where you're doing 20 seconds of ultra-intense exercise, very high VO2 max, alternating with 10 seconds of rest for eight cycles, which is four minutes. So these are examples of just using different energy systems and using anaerobic exercise, which, you know, for the general population who's just starting exercise might not be a great way to go. But for people who have been exercising for a while, they're looking to increase athletic performance, there are definitely some benefits to high-intensity interval training. And so to get to your point of it might be a little bit too much, what if the intervals are too high-intensity? How do they indicate that and make sure they don't cause an injury instead of getting fit? Well, I think the biggest thing with high-intensity interval training is that you need to focus on recovery. So that's recovery time within the class and then also recovery time from day to day, you know, depending on how many times a week you're doing it. So you want to look at how fast your heart rate is recovering. You want your breathing rate to recover. So if you're still breathless and your heart is still pounding and it's time for the next interval, you might not have recovered quite as well as you need to. And then over the longer term, we need to look at things like tissue recovery and neural recovery, so central nervous system recovery, which takes time. It can take up to 36 hours. If you're doing very high-intensity, pretty high-volume exercise, you really want to make sure that you're recovered and that you're you know, able to get back into the next round or the next day's workout. So hopefully somebody helping you identify the proper rest periods would be somebody that would be an educated and experienced fitness professional. And as coincidence has it, that's number three on this list of trends. So that's so broad, educated and experienced fitness professionals. What are the range of people that kind of falls into that group? 
Well, you can have everything from someone who's taken probably an online course to get some type of certification to someone who has a master's degree or a doctorate and is still working with clients. So it's a very wide range of education and experience. So as far as looking at education, the two big certifications that I would say people could look for are ACSM, American College of Sports Medicine, which has more of a medical and clinical-based training, and they offer certifications. And then the NSCA, National Strength and Conditioning Association, which focuses more on the athletic population. Those are, you know, if you ever see CSCS after someone's name, that's an NSCA, Certification for Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. So both of those require a Bachelor of Science and also certification for CPR and AED training for defibrillator. If you see those initials, then you know that someone's at least had a bachelor's degree training. Some of the other trainings, American Council of Exercise, ACE, and uh, NASM, National Academy of Sports Medicine, and they offer CPT, Certified Personal Trainer, and a CES, Corrective Exercise Specialist. That would cover kind of the education piece of it. And then the other piece is the experience. So you want someone who has experience training people. Maybe they have a different certification, but they have 20 years of experience training elite athletes, and you want to go to someone who has that niche in their practice. And then looking at things like personality. So if you have the most highly educated, highly experienced trainer in the world, but they don't have a great personality or you don't click with them, that's probably not going to be something you're going to want to stick with. And then looking at things like professionalism. Are they on time? Are they prepared for your training? Do they remember things that you've told them about your medical history? And then just area of expertise. So some trainers are interested in maybe training uh, endurance athletes and maybe you want to train for an Olympic distance triathlon or something like that. So that might be someone that you're drawn to working with. And then where do physical therapists fit within that realm? Are they in the fitness realm or are they just in the preventative injury realm? Where do they fall? I really see that physical therapy is changing, and I think that it's great that we're starting to understand that there's a role for physical therapists in wellness and risk reduction and prevention of injuries. I think we are the most highly trained experienced musculoskeletal experts, and there's no reason why we shouldn't get involved in wellness and conditioning and training and things like that. So I think, again, it's a matter of if a physical therapist has an interest in that, maybe pursuing a CSCS or something like that. You know, physical therapists now are entry-level doctorate professionals. Some of us who have been practicing for a longer time and haven't gone back have our master's degrees. We're very highly trained, and I think there's nobody better to continue their education to go more toward wellness and risk reduction. Let's move to the fourth item on the list, and that's strength training. So a few decades ago, strength training was something that was sort of for bodybuilder types or serious athletes. How prevalent now is strength training amongst sort of the general public, the general fitness enthusiast? So strength training, I think, is gaining in popularity these days. Um, as you mentioned, you know, it used to be in the 70s, maybe 80s, that it was just bodybuilders and, and powerlifting and things like that. I think that people in general in the past have been afraid to actually go into a gym and lift weights. And it can be, you know, very overwhelming and intimidating to walk into a gym where everybody looks like they know what they're doing and you've never touched a weight before. I think younger folks, we've probably grown up with more of exercise and strength training as part of our lives. But some of our older folks, our patients, clients, maybe have never been in a gym and have never touched a weight. 
So we need to be ready to show them some things to make them comfortable. And I think when someone wants to join a gym, it's probably a good thing to do a session with a personal trainer, at least to get comfortable with what the machines are or how you use free weights and things like that. I think that strength training is one of the best things that anyone can do. When we look at the benefits of it, um, increasing bone density, increasing resting metabolic rate to burn fat and calories and things like that, it's very important, especially as we get older, to work on strength training and especially to make it functional so that we can be fit for the activities that we really want to do in our daily life. You get great advice in terms of if you're going to a gym for a first time, make sure you sort of get a tour of it from somebody who can tell you how to use the equipment. Beyond that, just preparing physically to go walk in the door for the first time. Number one item on this list was body weight training. Is that a good way to start, for example? Will that help you build up to then be able to sort of, if you can do a push-up at home, be able to do a bench press later on? Or, you know, is there a better way to kind of ease into that? Well, I think that's definitely one way that people can ease into it. And you can also do body weight exercises in the gym. You know, a lot of times when I'm preparing a patient for discharge from physical therapy, we spend several visits going over their home exercise program, making sure that they understand what they can and cannot do or should not do in the gym as they're getting started and coming up with progressions. So if it's someone who's had physical therapy, hopefully their therapist has worked with them on those things. If it's someone who's just going into the gym and maybe, you know, you're afraid to touch the weight, maybe you start with the machines first. So most gyms have machines where you can sit and have your body supported and your spine supported and do different exercises. And that might be where you're comfortable starting and then you might get some instruction in free weights which I like much better than the machines because you know you have to stabilize and you work on balance and you work on multiple muscle groups at the same time but if you're not comfortable with that then just get started with whatever you're comfortable with and keep it safe. Fifth on the list is personal training. Now, earlier we already talked about the number of different people who are sort of in that educated and experienced fitness professionals bucket. So what I want to kind of focus on now is can personal trainer apply to, you know, multiple professions and multiple skill levels from physical therapists to certified athletic trainers? How broad is that label or is it really sort of a niche thing that is more independent, similar to the way physical therapy isn't a generic term but is something delivered treatment from a physical therapist? How narrow is that term, personal trainer? Well, I think anyone who works with clients for exercise and wellness could be considered a personal trainer, right? So, you know, there's a difference between having the initials, maybe CPT, certified personal trainer, and just being someone who has experience and is working with people. I mean, let's face it, there are a lot of people out there who are training other people, even if they're only friends or family, and don't have any specific training or certification. So I think, again, it goes back to checking out their education and experience. I think that physical therapists and athletic trainers can often function in the capacity of a personal trainer for defining that broadly in the sense of someone who works with people for wellness and risk reduction and prevention and things like that. Obviously, physical therapy is a doctorate degree with, at the minimum, seven years of schooling and formalized education. You know, that might be something that, you know, in my practice, I do some wellness treatments where I'm not focused specifically on physical therapy goals and it's not being billed as physical therapy. So it's wellness. It's just something to help patients maybe after they've finished their formal physical therapy or if they are ready to, you know, maybe start an exercise program but they're not comfortable going to the gym. Now, certified athletic trainers have at minimum a bachelor's degree and have passed, if they're using the initials ATC, they've passed their national boards, which certifies them as an athletic trainer. And so that's 
quite different than a personal trainer in the sense that you've had to do many, many hours of experience training in an athletic training room. You've had to pass practical examinations, probably internships, working with teams, and then taking a certifying exam, which is actually fairly rigorous. All of those professionals can do personal training, so it's just a matter of finding out what their actual education is. So number six on this list of top 20 trends in fitness is exercise and weight loss, which to some people might seem funny because for many of them, exercise and weight loss is probably their casual definition of what fitness is. The key takeaway in this sense seems to be that exercise is a key to losing weight rather than, say, just dieting alone, just looking at what we eat. So when it comes to weight loss, is there sort of any universally agreed upon exercise approaches that seem better for weight loss than others? Or does it really just a matter in terms of how you, all these activities can be equal, it just depends on how you approach them in, in terms of how successful you'll be? Well, when you're exercising, I think, first of all, it needs to be something that you like doing because that's what you're going to stick with. So if you hate running, then it's kind of silly to start a running program to lose weight if it's going to feel like torture every single time you're doing it. You really want to pick something you like. We're kind of talking about diet and exercise. One of my favorite things is that you can't out-train a bad diet. So you can't eat pizza and ice cream and really um, – poor, not nutrient-dense foods, and then go out and train really hard and expect that you're going to have great results from that. So I look at it more in a holistic sense. As you start to make positive changes, one thing kind of snowballs into another. So maybe you start out with eating a little bit better. You're going to cut out soda. You're going to cut out pizza, whatever it is. And then you start to feel a little bit better and you think, well, I, I probably should exercise. So you find something that you like doing, that you enjoy, that doesn't cause pain to allow you to get started with your exercise. And then as you eat a little bit better, maybe you start increasing the exercise and things like that. You know, obviously it's kind of oversimplified to say that if we eat less and move more, we'll lose weight because some people have metabolic issues that don't really allow that to happen, things like insulin resistance or hypothyroidism or things like that. But all of those things can be managed with a holistic program where you're working on exercising several times a week, hopefully strength training at least two days a week, and then maybe some easier recovery exercise in the beginning, eating a little bit better, Focusing on sleep, I think sleep is one of the most undervalued aids to increasing performance. So we really need to focus on dialing in our sleep, dialing in our stress management techniques and things like that. These things all feed in together. So now let's move to number seven, and that's yoga. Earlier we talked about strength training and how that's become more mainstream. Likewise, I think yoga is in a, uh, sort of a similar trajectory. So what are the benefits of yoga? And then maybe, though, because this is still sort of drifting into the mainstream, what are the misconceptions about it? I think this has changed a lot in the past 15 years. Uh, I started doing yoga probably 15 or 16 years ago, and a lot of people I knew told me, oh, you better be careful. That's something like a cult, and they chant and things like that. And I think there was a lot of fear around what yoga actually was. And it's definitely gotten more accepted in the mainstream and things like that. You know, the whole purpose initially of yoga, the postures, the asanas, was to prepare someone to be able to sit and do sitting meditation. And so I think more and more people are actually starting to meditate, but I don't think that that's why people do yoga. People do it because it feels good. It feels good to move and to stretch and to focus on your breathing, to get you out of that fight or flight 
you know, sympathetic nervous system state and to just wind things down a little bit. And I think that's why it's gained popularity. People have realized that there are a lot of benefits to moving in ways that we don't normally move in our day-to-day life. And yoga allows you to flex and extend and rotate and do things that you might not do if you sit at a desk all day. Let's move to number eight now, and that's fitness programs for older adults. There has to be risk factor there, right? So you mentioned earlier, first of all, just maybe going to the weight room. Maybe they've never been there before. Even if they might get benefits, there's a risk factor. Maybe they haven't been very active. Going into any exercise program too quickly could be a risk factor. But I assume there's also a risk factor of not doing enough. So when you think about fitness programs for older adults, what's your rule of thumb? What's your recommended advice? I think if someone's never exercised before and they're older, certainly they should start with having a physical with their physician just to maybe get some basic blood work done, find out what your cholesterol is and things like that, your weight, just get a general baseline of where things are. And also make sure that it's safe for you to start exercising. So if you've had any sort of a history of cardiac issues, maybe a stent or a bypass or something, you obviously want to follow your doctor's advice for that. And I would suggest probably if someone has never exercised before, either working with a physical therapist who can help you establish your wellness goals and come up with a good program, or working with a certified personal trainer, someone who's got experience working with older adults. Several of the certifying bodies for personal trainers do offer specialty certifications for working with seniors or older adults. So I would suggest that first start with your physician and get cleared to exercise and then work with someone who can really help you and get you started on a good program. After you're started, you want to make sure that you're continuing to progress. So you can't keep doing the same exercises two to three times a week for the rest of your life. You're not going to make progress with that. So if you start out with bodyweight exercises, maybe you add in resistance bands after that, and then you progress your bodyweight exercises, and maybe you add some free weights in or some push-ups or things like that. So I think, like you said, there is a risk of maybe getting too comfortable thinking, well, I'm exercising three times a week, but maybe you're still doing the same things you used to do. Or maybe you've taken up walking and you walk for 30 minutes several times a week, but you're never increasing your pace. You're not increasing your intensity or your distance or your volume. It's very hard to make progress with that. So obviously working with a professional is the best way to track your progress and continue to be given new exercises that would be appropriate. But you can also so use some common sense and progress things on your own as well. So basically the takeaway seems to be that even if someone is later in life and may not be otherwise motivated to kind of progress in their fitness, they just want to maintain, they need to progress in their exercise in order to maintain. Is that right? Yes. I think you have to progress in some sense, whether it's increasing intensity, increasing volume, you know, more days a week, things like that, increasing the distance that you're walking or something like that. We all want to make progress, even if we're happy with how we look and what our weight is and how well we can do our normal daily activities. It's still fun to keep progressing the program, and I think that's something that keeps people interested and engaged in their program is that if you continue to switch it up and change exercises and make progress, you really do enjoy it a lot more. Okay, so number nine on the list is functional fitness. What is that? Functional fitness, I think we can, in a nutshell, say it's fit for real life. So functional fitness would involve things that would carry over into being able to do things better in normal life. I kind of joke with my clients that functional fitness really means, can you save your life in an emergency? If you fall, can you get up off the floor? If there's an earthquake, could you run? Could you pull yourself up over something and climb up something if you had to? Finding exercises that translate into being able to do normal daily activities 
and functioning in emergencies better. So if we look at just a real simple example, doing an exercise like a bent row where you're bent over at the waist, maybe supporting the knee, and you're using dumbbell to do a row or a kettlebell or something like that. That can be functional in the sense that it helps you to do things like lift up your 40-pound bag of cat litter or dog food, help you to lift your baby up out of the crib and things like that. That's functional doing it in that position as a bent row versus being stabilized on a machine maybe and doing machine rows for the rest of your life. So we want to, again, getting back to changing things up, we want to continue to progress, do different exercises, maybe move more toward free weights rather than machines, and really do things that are going to help translate to fitness for real-life activities. So again, the fitness list identifies the top 20 trends. We're looking at the top 10 today, and the 10th is group personal training. Earlier, we talked about personal training. When we look at group personal training, sometimes that can be cheaper than individual training. What are the other benefits? Well, I think definitely there's a camaraderie that comes with that. Most of the folks that I know who have gyms that offer group personal training or small group fitness or semi-private training, it's sometimes called, they tend to have the same people in the group every time they meet. So that really leads to getting to know uh, the people in your group better. It leads to camaraderie. You can cheer for each other. You know what your goals are. And if someone's been really working toward, you know, a certain weight on a deadlift or something like that, and they finally reach it, it's great to be able to celebrate that with other people versus doing your happy dance in the gym by yourself that you, you know, finally got to the weight that you wanted to get to. So I think there are a lot of benefits. I think it helps to keep you accountable to actually showing up when you know that other people are counting on you to be there. There's lots and lots of benefits. And as a trend, I see a lot of gyms going more toward that these days. There are still places that offer personal training one-on-one, but I'm seeing a trend of people going more towards small group training, especially at really popular gyms. You know, my friend Mark Fisher has a place in New York called Mark Fisher Fitness. They do pretty much exclusively small group training or semi-private training along with their classes because they're so busy that they want to be able to get more people in. And small group training allows them to take more clients in, and it makes it, like you said, more affordable for the client to be able to actually commit to doing it several times So the survey identified fitness trends for 2015. Some of this stuff five years from now will still be popular. Others will seem like dated fads, I'm sure. And let me let you play fortune teller a little bit. What do you think the trends are going to be in the next few years? Well, I definitely see, like we were just talking about, a trend towards semi-private or small group training, definitely continued interest in things like boot camps and CrossFit and things like that. I will also predict, hopefully, that more and more physical therapists would start getting involved with wellness and risk reduction and injury prevention and things like that. I think we're already starting to see a trend toward that as physical therapists either add in cash-based services to their existing practice, things like yoga and Pilates and weight training and things like that. And then also with 100% cash-based practices where there really is no dividing line between when a patient is being seen for physical therapy and maybe finishes and is discharged from therapy, and they can just kind of go right into wellness and, you know, exercise and things like that. So I really see a continued role for physical therapists as the population ages, as insurance reimbursement continues to decline and co-pays continue to go up. I think that there's a great role for us as physical therapists to help people get healthier and stay healthier. And Wendell, thank you so much. Thank you. You can learn more about the American College of Sports Medicine survey at their website, acsm.org, or via the podcast page for this episode of Move Forward Radio at moveforwardpt.com. 
Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com radio.